0: Hi, um, welcome to our fourth episode of season three, of our podcast. I'm Mary Abazia, and with me is my colleague Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam. Hi, guys. Hey,
1: hey hi, Mary. hi t- hi
2: Sean. Hi, Tom. <laughs> hi to Tom. myself. I'm
1: here. <laughs> hi
0: to everyone. We are calling this uh season the the marketing case book, and it's we we find that there's so many interesting recent cases. Uh, some of them successful, uh, some of them are are just colossal failures. So we thought it'd be interesting to figure out what's happening with, with these types of cases and then help you, our, our clients, figure out what you can learn from it. So each lesson, of course, will end with, uh, you know, what does this mean to you? So, you know, I, this particular one reminds me of uh, something that said, oh, I wish I would have seen that one coming well, I think this case is one of those that you may not know much about yet, but I think you're going to be really surprised in the next couple of years. But uh, Sean, what is this episode called?
2: Okay, well, this is, a, this is a cold case. This is the cold case of the cool takeover.
0: Ooh, Ooh Tom, tell more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the subject of this episode is, is Hire, which is the fastest growing provider of appliances in the world, a Chinese company. I bet you didn't know that. Um, since two thousand and eleven it's held the largest worldwide market share in white goods Now, Sean and Mary and myself have been hearing about this company in bits and pieces over the last couple of years. Occasionally, somebody in a space that hire was in would mention them, and it was always in a really positive context, which should have been our clue we you, you know typically when people talk about competitors there's a maybe at best some grudging admiration but always when these guys were mentioned it was with the utmost respect and really even a little bit of fear now they took over uh, GE appliances a few years back and the 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 latest reports are that they are actually well into the process of turning that business around. So with all of this information and given the fact that we're digging into companies like this in this season, we all started doing our research on hire and we were really super impressed with what we found. This could be one of the most, if not the most customer-centric B2B organizations in the world and their chief executive, Zhang Ruiman, I hope I'm doing justice to his name, is clearly a, a, a visionary, so that's the the focus of this episode. Maybe we can start with um, Mary. What are some of the things that you were most impressed with as you kind of dug into this company?
0: Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and by the way, hire is um, spelled H A I E R. In case you want to look this up more, um, I think it's remarkable. I had. Heard about them uh, when we were working in the appliance industry a long time ago about this small company that was making these refrigerators for dorms in, in the 90s, 97 era time. And I thought that's kind of interesting. That's very niche though. But there were no U.S. companies that were really thinking about that space in the way that they were doing it. So they kind of owned that. And then they came up with wine refrigerators in the 2000s. Which is brilliant because you know, of course, anyone that loves their wine loves to have the right temperature. So they they moved into that, and that's how we were exposed to them as they came into the U.S. before, as you said, they bought GE. So they just they've they've continued over a very long period of time. But um, you know, as as we looked into this more, there were four key areas that they continue to, I guess you can say, pivot or figure out in the right times. Um, one of them was in the 80s when quality was horrific. And uh, they finally got to the point where they were going to change that perception and come out with quality products. In the 90s was the second big switch where they were very customer-consumer responsive. Um, and they that's how they actually even created their their teams to focus on what what the consumer needed. Um, including (laughs) one time when um, somebody called and said, I have too much dirt in my washing machine. They went out and figured out that they were washing their vegetables in the washing machine, which was made a lot of sense because uh, farmers made more money if their vegetables were clean. So they immediately came out with a vegetable washing machine, of course. (laughs) So, uh, and then the third is in the two thousands they really looked at how to have self-managing teams and how to make decisions, which, you know, we see companies all the time really struggling with this. How do you how do you organize so that you are customer focused, yet you're meeting the needs of your organization? They figured it out, you know, and that was in the 2000s. And then the fourth one, which is happening now that we read a lot about is being an, a truly internet-based company. So, you know, and, and not a lot of companies are embracing it, it seems the way they are. So those were some of the hot things I've seen.
1: Mary, Mary, what I think is really um, interesting about all four of those reinventions is that they've had one CEO through all of it. Zhang Rumin was the one that really realized there was that quality problem, which was the first reinvention that you talked about. And he's kind of led them through all four eras. So one of the things I wanted us to discuss was I guess the benefits and drawback, drawbacks of that kind of continuity in leadership, and I wanted to ask Sean his his thoughts on that. Um, he and you and I discuss that sometimes around uh, sporting teams as well. But what do you what do you think are the pluses and minuses of having the same CEO over the course of what I guess his his reign now is is, is over thirty years at the organization.
2: Yeah, I guess when I see that, it's just it comes down to consistency, doesn't it? And and you know, how do you become a long-term CEO or a long-term sports coach? You know, by winning, you you have to have a track record generally of of, of achieving, and certainly no major reversals. So it's a sort of virtuous circle, a, a reinforcement of the correct strategy, but then growing confidence in the the leader's you know, decisions and. and And there's a sort of magic that comes with that that virtuous circle. So consistency is 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 always the key. And of course, there's the learning curve that we're very keen, particularly in the West, to to change, to chop and change at the the top. You've seen it with um, with Manchester United, my local football team, who had a period of massive stability under one coach, and since that ended, it's been a very mixed bag of results. And we're, we're on the sort of third or fourth. Person in that role, and and it's difficult to get that traction to to build up. So you, so you need to have that 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 confidence, but also that stability that comes with it. You know, it, it's it's something that that we don't seem to appreciate so much, and, and maybe we're too quick to reverse on, on a on a on a small um, element rather than looking at the longer picture. So it seems like a very long term view that the business has taken, and I think that's. That's also demonstrated in its strategy, from from niche markets through to mainstream, through acquisitions, through you know technology development. It, it sort of covers all the bases.
1: Yeah, I, I what I've noticed in organizations, whether it's sports or, or business, that have had the patience to stick with the same leadership, um, especially over you know sometimes decades. There are periods where there is some waning success. I mean, you can't be consistently on top in sports every single year. But the organizations that stick with the leadership and believe in them, even as there's, you know, maybe a slight decline, are rewarded because I think these people start to, these leaders start to understand the kind of people that fit the way they like to run the organization, And so it becomes a a lot easier to find and replace and promote people that are sharing in your values. And if your values are in the right place, that's probably what led you to to win in the first place. And you continue to make great personnel decisions and have people that maybe, I don't want to say that they're robots and they're just, um, you know, moving along in lockstep with what the leadership says, but they have a certain kind of open mindset. I think that has to be true at Hire because these four reinventions that Mary talked about, they're they are very, very significant, but there has to be an open mindset in the people that are out there that are executing on these strategies. And it, and it has to be a certain type of person. Clearly, um Zhang Ruman, understands who these people are, and I think that's one of the huge benefits of that kind of continuity of leadership. What do you think, Barry or Sean? Th- yeah,
0: go ahead. Well, Sean. I was
2: just going to say, something. well, I was thinking that the, what we talked about so far, quite rightly, has been the strength of the leadership and the quality of the uh, the people and all of the internal metrics that that every business needs and every business strives for. But a lot of their success has also come from this. This very external, they're sort of doing both things really well. They're not an internally focused, well-managed company. They're also a very strong, externally focused, customer-centric business as well. And I think that's an important element of their success.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sean. I mean, even the fact that they have to um, um, apply for their jobs when a new product comes along, they have to, just like an advertising agency, they have to pitch for their ideas um, that they want to bring into that new product launch. So no one, no one gets comfortable in their jobs and they're always learning. You know, Tom, as you're saying, I think that, that, um, you know, the leader is a learner and always looking for best practices around the world. I mean, even when they bought GE, they learned that there were a couple of things that they really wanted to make sure that they kept about what GE was doing. And then there were other things with their other practices that they implemented. So, um, and, what I think is remarkable about the way that they're addressing the customer, not only around learning, but the way that they're taking technology. Um, recently, they wanted to find out what people thought of air conditioning. So they, they sent it out, but then they had over 670,000 people talk about, on online conversations, just how they felt about it. And one of the themes that came out was, I hate being cold. I want to be Cool. And they, they took that to heart. They came back with their R&D group and said, we have to come up with a way to make it cool, not not cold. And that, you know, the air is really bad. So how do we somehow show people that um, that the air quality gets better? So they had a light indicator and people said, oh, my air is not only cool, but clean. And, uh, and the air conditioners were usually ugly boxes and they change that because of what they saw. So just by watching these online conversations, which we believe is a very powerful way to do research, they, they did it, you know, they, they, they completely created new products. And as Sean, you said, and they're winning in those approaches too. So I, again, everything, any corner I turn to look at what they're doing, I can't find anything really wrong. I I agree with both (laughs) of you.
1: I think the the leader, the leader is, a customer centric zealot and he's been in place for 35 years. So part of that continuity of leadership is he's certainly not hiring anybody that doesn't share that, at least that, that passion for serving customers. But what I thought was really cool and pun is intended here (laughs) about the story, Mary, that you just talked about, the cool, not cold uh, story, was that they demonstrated um, two types of innovation, that we see in other great companies, one type of innovation was you know listening and implementing, so they did this survey and and by the way, probably six hundred they were probably disappointed in, in because of the size of the market in China was six hundred and seventy thousand responses it was pro- it was probably a low response rate, given the massiveness of that market, but they really they took the the cool, not cold and it was a direct quote and it actually became their positioning, you know, for, for the air conditioner. So that's one type of innovation was just simply listen to, to, to customers and don't mess up what you're hearing. But the other thing that they did with this, um, this indicator that showed that the, you know, that the air was being cleaned as well, they, they didn't hear that request directly from customers in the survey. But they did another type of innovation, which we see where they looked at the trend. And the trend in China is that people are becoming more and more concerned about the quality of the air. So they kind of put themselves a couple years into the future and said, as we're building this, what what is the future customer going to want? And they created a a, a function that ended up being very popular that no one said that they wanted. Sounds a lot like how Apple did things under steve jobs so i thought that was really an interesting part of the story as well
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sean
2: yes yeah, an interesting parallel well i tell you the definition of a cool product right have you have you seen photographs of the i think it's a Tianzon, their, their air conditioner have you seen what that thing looks like mm-hmm. very space age very sleek very cool and i was looking at it thinking i'd love one of them and I live in England, right? The one thing we don't have a great call for is air conditioning. Generally speaking, we get by just because it's never that hot. And if you can get someone in a temperate climate where I live to look at a device and think that's cool, beyond its functionality, that's kind of, to me, a sign of a, of a pretty cool product that's, that's ticking more boxes than just its yeah. functionality. Yeah, you
0: know? that's really so, good. It's, it's- so, Sean, do you have any closing uh, lessons for, for our group here?
2: A couple of things spring to mind. One is, you know, this. Let's not forget this market they're in is would would traditionally be thought of as a staid, old, boring market from yesteryear, appliances for crying out loud. But they've turned it into something modern, forward-looking, with still masses of opportunity when you listen to customers. So don't think you have to be inventing, you know, a flying car you can look at lots of standard products and services that can be improved as demonstrated by these people. And the other thing I'd say is we talk about not letting their employees get comfortable in their roles. I'd like to rephrase that because the opposite of comfortable is uncomfortable. I would rather think they don't allow their employees to get bored in their roles because the opposite of boredom is excitement. And it's getting that that mindset throughout the business that they're not prepared to just do the same stuff day in, day out. They want to be pushing those boundaries. And when you harness that energy within the whole firm, this is the sort of thing that can happen.
0: Mm, good. Tom, closing Trust lesson? the
2: process. Um,
1: what I mean by that is that this is a company that clearly has a lot of trust. First of all, the board trusts the CEO and it's left him in place for 35 years because they realize he's made of the right stuff. He's customer centric and 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 so they they've trusted him to continue to lead them through a couple of different errors er, eras E-R-A, eras over the last uh 35 years but he also is a very trusting manager himself because he's organized the company around thousands of almost like micro enterprises where they own a geography or a segment of customers and these people that, that own these, these segments are free to you know, create mass-customized products and create relationships with external partners that create an ecosystem. All of that requires a tremendous amount of trust on behalf of the CEO. He's not commanding and controlling. He's trusting that these little segment managers – are going to be able to create value in their pockets of responsibility. And they've rewarded him and his trust with a tremendous company that keeps reinventing itself successfully over a long period of time.
0: Mm, That's good. This is very good. Um, So we're going to close out. And if there is um, any company that you find like her that... That um, has an um, an uncovered story, you know, where you can see that there's a lot of elements that that are making of a really great company. We would love to hear about it. Obviously, we're fascinated by the ingredients that make up these great companies, and hope that that our our clients are able to somehow embrace what we see and um, and make their companies better as well. So, we hope uh, if you have any any good stories, let us know. Um, if you Like what you're hearing, uh, go to theaccidentalmarketer.com and click on the podcast button. There's uh, several more, and you can also uh, give us ratings on on our um, iTunes page. Thank you very much.